Hello, and welcome to Dig It. I'm Peter Brown, and hosting the show with me today is Chris Day. Hi, Chris. Hi, Peter. So, August now. How are you doing, Chris? Uh, well, cool down a little bit, Peter, after last month and those incredible record-breaking temperatures. Weren't they amazing? I mean, I've never experienced heat like that in the UK. It's like you walking out of an aeroplane mm. when you go on holiday, the heat off the tarmac. Yeah, it was the same experience, wasn't it? And, and of course, our poor gardens, of course, have really taken a, quite a hammering, haven't they, with that incredible... And this Definitely, has, yeah. yeah. I mean, my, my lawn, I just... I haven't bothered watering it. I just thought, well, yep. it'll grow back. But it was the containers that every day... So, I mean, my hanging baskets out the front of the house only get the sun in the afternoon. So they do okay. But even then, on the really hot times and when there's a bit of a breeze about watering them twice a day... Indeed, yeah, that's been coming along. And, of course, the heat generated on some of the pots as well. So, so much to be praised about having glazed pots because they definitely are cooler than some of the, the darker black plastic pots, which uh, I found in my garden. I could put, hardly put my hands on the, the containers that, that were hot in the in the afternoon after, you know, finishing work. So Yeah, certainly. Yeah, and yeah. No, I mean, my conservatory, I've got an aloe plant, mm. and I watered that one day, and I, I picked it up, and yeah. honestly, it must have been about 40 degrees, the yeah. plant. It was mm. amazing. It's still alive and doing well, but yes. I guess... It's more suited to the warm climates than prob- some of the other plants that prob- we keep. Probably enjoying it, but it's, it is a bit of a wake-up call, isn't it, Peter? The, our, you know, the way we garden is definitely going to be changing if this is going to be coming. There's, there's, the experts were saying we could have these sort of heat temperatures every three years now. Okay. So, um, you know, 40 degrees, maybe that becomes a norm for these blips. We'll have to garden accordingly and have to yeah, forfeit our lawn perhaps for a few months of the year. Mm. if necessary but oh, it's, I always think you know the lawn is the first thing to, to look a bit dishevelled but it's obviously the first thing to pick up when we do get some rain well that's it and we've had a few showers not mm. <laughs> not much I mean I did get caught in a rainstorm the other night on my way home but yep. it was to be fair very nice it's, nice it and is. cooling wasn't it it was no it's uh, it's difficult and of course that has a knock on effect to, to you know the things we're having to do you know we're having to do obviously more watering more, more weeding more pest and disease control it all sort of adds to the equation doesn't it it does that's it and what we got on this month then chris any good shows to go and see yeah well there are actually pieces i mean um august traditionally is the quieter month but it is obviously the the height of summer so we've got uh on the the third to the seventh of august we've got the uh rhs hyde hall flower show over in in chelmsford essex obviously uh, one of the many rhs gardens yeah um I've been to Hyde Hall, but I haven't been to the Flower Show, so I can't really comment. But I think it's going to be a, be a good one. Okay. Uh, on Friday, the the fourth of August, we've got a summer cycle at Kew Gardens. Mm, what did not it read about that? Isn't it? It's, I, I had no idea Kew was that big. I, when I saw it, I was like. You know, you take five minutes to cycle around <laughs> there, but no, it's 300 acres or so, isn't it? It is, it's, it's huge. I mean, when I've walked around it, not that many times over the years, but it is to get to, say, the, the, the Palm House to, say, the Alpine area. Gosh, yep. it's a bit of a trek, so on two wheels probably will make it a lot more enjoyable. And It would uh, be a lovely place to cycle around with the family, wouldn't it? Yeah, so that's been organised between 5.30 and 8.30, so you've got a, a few-hour window, a cooler time of the day to, to enjoy yep. queue. Uh, yeah, and then um, I'm doing a, another uh, masterclass on the 17th and repeated on the 20th as part of our masterclass free talks. And uh, this this coming month we're going to be looking at growing your favourite hobby plants. Okay. 
So I'm going to be picking out a few of my favourites and then just talking generally about how to learn and find out more about our favourites. So things like dahlias, alpines, carnivorous plants, bonsai, all those sort of things are going to be chatted about. So a little bit different. Excellent. And then on Friday and Saturday, that's the 12th and 13th, the Shrewsbury or Shrewsbury Flower Show yeah. in Quarry Park, Shrewsbury. I went there years ago and it's a beautiful show. It's a proper, it feels like a, a sort of national flower show. However, it's very quintessentially English. It's quite small scale. Okay. But there's uh, you know, show jumping. There's lots of things as well as lots of lovely flowers and vegetables to look at. Mm. Excellent. So if you're up in Tresbury area, mm, good one def- to go and oh, explore. Uh, yeah, definitely recommended. And finally, on the Friday the 19th through to the Sunday the 21st, we've got the RHS Garden Rosemore Flower Show down in, in lovely uh, lovely Devon. So, uh, okay. Yeah, top and tailing the, the month of August, the, the flower shows at uh, the RHS Garden. So another good, another good one. If you're obviously an RHS member, uh, ideal. If you're not and you're in the area on holiday, Want to, to uh, have to a look at it? Yeah, sure. Yeah. thinking about flower shows. Mm. I saw the the rose flower show has returned to squires at Shepperton again. Unfortunately, mm. we just missed it. It was the end of July, but it's nice to see that's come back after COVID. Indeed, and of course we had the obviously the Hampton Court Flower Show last month as well, and the uh, the flower marquee and uh, the, the the floral marquee, which is obviously dedicated to roses, was more popular than ever this year. Yeah, because roses seem to, like you say, they are really popular. Because uh, I noticed Blue Diamond have released their Elizabeth Ashbrook mm. rose, which they grow in their Fry's nursery, mm. um, which does lots of different roses for the group. But yeah, really interesting, isn't yeah. it? It's interesting. Yeah, Fry's roses. Uh, they they were originally well, I think they're still based in Nutsford in in Cheshire. Right. a good rose-growing country. Yeah. And in their time, Friars were monumental. You'll have to see the Friars' name uh, as, a, as part of the, the variety name of a lot of the really popular roses of, of long gone by. So, I mean, it's good that, obviously, Blue Diamond are supporting. However, those varieties are obviously now exclusive to their uh, their sort of 40, 50 garden centres, which uh, mm. is a bit interesting, isn't it, Peter? Well, it restricts the market a mm. bit, but I suppose from their point of view, they, they think, brilliant, mm. nobody else can get these, we'll cash in on them. Yes. In the same way that David Austin has done a similar thing with the Rose Market, haven't they? That's, I mean, yes, it's, yeah. I suppose, the nature of life, isn't it? The bigger you get, the more you want to keep on growing, mm. and the, you know, the smaller nurseries and garden centres possibly get squeezed out. Yeah. I think the only thing is, Peter, the only people not benefiting from this change of thought is, is the charities, because if you've got a charity rose like the uh, Sir Tom Moore rose, yep. which has done incredibly well, that's been available to every single garden centre. And, you know, in my visits around, I've seen it everywhere. Yep. So for the, uh, for, for, for the, for the charity, they're getting the, the, you know, the focus and the highlights which obviously they, they might lose out on if they're being a little bit more exclusive. But hey, you know, as you say, horses for courses. Yeah, that's yeah. where we're at at the it moment. Indeed. And things, yeah. no, what goes around comes around. And indeed. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just look at Wyvale. Indeed, yes. So and locally to us, I see Webbs have taken over Millet's Farm, which mm. is, I think... Well, it's part of the Frost Group, and you know, from what I understand, the Frost are, are splitting up, and um, they're, they're selling off the sites now. So Millet's Farm is just sort of just in the it's Oxfordshire, isn't it? Yeah, just Oxfordshire. In the I think the one thing I think I think sorry, one of the the press releases, Peter, that they thought their their uh, customer focus was very similar, so that was the the reason they went for those preferred 
uh, buyers. So it's nice to see that's happening, isn't it? They're not just selling it off, and um, yeah, and uh, yeah, they're, they're thinking very carefully about their their customer the base. Of, yeah, isn't it? The garden centres, I suppose. Mm. Yeah, it's yeah. good, isn't it? It is. And I picked up uh, about coffee logs mm. that we sell. Uh, oh yes, they're they're a B Corp certified company, which means they're already very environmentally friendly. But they've won a best of in best for the world. B Corp certificate, that's, which that's really recognises them as a exceptionally positive company, and the impact of their product mm. is helping reduce carbon our carbon footprint. Which and, yeah, and just remind me, Peter, we we, we supply them with beans. Or yes, the, uh, we supply them with the grounds from our coffee mm. uh, from the restaurant. So mm-hmm. we feed it into them, and obviously we buy the logs from them, and yeah. mm-hmm. uh, then hopefully our customers burn them and yes. help. With the, so complete the cycle, the cycle I suppose, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, so getting, getting the, the benefit of the coffee and the heat as well. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've not actually smelt one burning. I want. I always wonder whether they smell like a nice cup of coffee because I think that's the I, best thing about when you make fresh coffee is oh gosh, yes. the aroma. Yeah, and yeah. I, I have tried them in my, um, my solid fuel burner, but of course you basically you close it up. You, you, you don't you, get the you smell, do you? Smell, do you? No. So for it to be more eco-efficient as well. Yeah, but it's a good product and it's a good, very good company to yeah. deal with. So please support them some more. And a few episodes ago, Chris, you told us you were going to do us a, a peat-free trial. Mm. How, how's that going? Because you've given us a few updates, and I'm really keen now because to hear about how you how the plants are doing now they've they've established. Mm, and I think this is the thing. This has been the real test this last month or so with the with the, Extra the temperature. Dry weather, I bet. Yeah, and the fact that we'll be putting more water. And I have to say that um, you know, we've had obviously these record breaking temperatures. Um my memory results were that the, the home base one uh, I used in my baskets have been okay. Right. However, the, the supermarket options, they were from Lidl and Aldi, uh, started okay. The plants have grown really well. However, the moisture-retaining qualities have been incredibly poor. Oh and has the aroma disappeared yet? It has, yes. I think the, the, the fragrance of the flowers now <laughs> has replaced them there. Okay. Uh, but it has, they have become a problem to, to re-moisten, so we're going to have to look at that. Um, the other thing, of course, is that even at the garden centre, we, you know, over the last few weeks, we've been struggling, obviously, on the irrigation side of things. Mm. And it has been, again, the peat-free products, which obviously our wonderful plant suppliers have been trialling, obviously, as well, have sort of caused a few issues. So we are still in a very much a, a sort of wait and see in how we can formulate this yep. as well, which is interesting because, you know, you know, the more you water, the more you're going to have to feed your your peat-free compost, that's a sort of yep. a given. And obviously that in turn can lead to nutrient deficiencies. One thing I did find, I, I used uh, one of the, the peat-free composts on growing some uh, beans in a, in a raised bed. Right. And I think I think a, a couple of episodes ago we, we mentioned about your yellow beans. Yep. I've now had the yellow bean syndrome. Okay. And the plants were growing really well. They got almost to the top of the... Uh, the uh, netting and they were starting to show flowers and then the plants went incredibly yellow so I've had to get lots of feed they're, they're coming back thank goodness yep. but that was a bit of a blip which I normally would never experience with a peat free compost um, and I suppose yes this year this season has been a bit unusual in many respects weather wise certainly yeah. yeah I think we'll have to put that in as well um, so something on growing runner beans I was talking to someone in our bee club mm-hmm. and they were saying they go out and um mist and spray mm. their oh, yes. beans because 
runner beans love humidity, and that helps them set their flowers. That's right, yes. I'd, I'd not heard of that before. Is, yeah, uh, so you can do that, and you can syringe them, you can misspray them, basically. Right, okay. You can do that in the in the morning, um, probably before the sun's really high in the sky and it's going to cause problems of scorch, or you do it in the evening, that's when I tend to do mine. So, yeah. I, so I water the, uh, the raised bed, give it a feed, and then I usually then go around with me... Um, um, the end of my host mister on there and just and just put it onto a different adjustment on a fine mist and go up and down the plants as well so that helps the process okay but uh, yeah beans are very very sensitive if they don't get that and they get this what they call dry set uh, because the pollen hasn't moved within yep. the flower then you can have some you don't get many well. beans yeah no you no. don't unfortunately um so i mean i think going forward piece i think i'm going to have a look at maybe looking at what I can do to the, my peat-free compost when I use it. So do I add some of the, the swell gel products to hold moisture? Yep. Broadleaf uh, P4, which obviously we sell, it's a good product for holding, it's one of these water-retaining polymers. Uh, or do we do, you know, mix some of our own compost to our mixes to yeah. add that as well? So I think there's going to be lots of options. And it's interesting, Amateur Gardening Magazine, uh, a couple of weeks ago in there, um, they, they've been doing a trial as well using yep. Cosmos. Okay. And they've had some really good. So if, um, if our listeners you know, have a look back on uh, on Amateur Gardening, go back a couple of weeks into sort of mid-July. But they basically tried growing in peat, which they got very basically impressive results. They tried their homemade compost, had good success. However, they had many weeds. Which but I suppose that, yeah, because it's not gone through a bio, biodigester. Digester, the, yes. Things that get the compost up to sort of 60, 70 degrees that kill all the seeds. That would yeah. be wild. Right and obviously grown in peat-free, they said slow to start, but they caught up. I mean, in all the, the products I've been using, Peter, I've not had any, any problems with weeds. Really? You, yeah, I yeah. don't know what it is about your growing conditions, Chris. Even <laughs> even when I get bags out of the garden centre no, from years gone by, yeah. I'd happily grow weeds amongst all my no. seedlings. I was looking around the, the garden last night and then there's pots and containers. No, there's, there's been very few. I mean, obviously, I'd one or two, but nothing, you know, problematic as it were. But okay. that's, yeah, so I suppose that's the thing as well. So, um, yeah, so it's been a bit of a mixed bag, mixed fortunes. Everything I think started well. I think the, for the for the seed sowing side of things, when we were talking back in March and April, yep. absolutely fine, provided you put run them through the sieve. However, it's it's what happens next when you're potting your plants up. Um, that? But um, yeah. So the winner so far this year? Yeah, I think it's going to be it's going to be obviously Jack's Magic is probably there for, for as a peat. Or a lower reduction peat product that's still yep. there. It's now down to fifty percent. It used to be ninety percent. So they've reformulated it. Yep. So you've got that. So if you still want, you're still hankering to use a peat-based compost. That's obviously in the marketplace still. However, yeah, I would still contend that my home base one is, is home base has performed the, 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 the best so best far. So far, yeah. yeah. But we've still got another couple of months to go, haven't we? So uh, well, well and so, yeah. I think as with all of these things, new products come out and. Mm. Um, one of the ones that we've got back in again is the wool and mm. bracken. Yes, Dalefoot Dalefoot compost, yeah. which yeah. I think that's had some very good reviews. So it'll yeah. be interesting to see how that yeah. does, and I'm sure there'll be some other ones that hit the market 
in the next few years that yes. will hopefully yes get rid of the issues I'm, that we've got. Mm, I'm going to trial. There's a, a product which I've, of the ones we've done, I haven't trialed yet, and that's the the, uh, the performance range, which is uh, now in stock. And the Miracle, Miracle Grow performance, performance, yeah, because yeah, yeah, they're organic, organic isn't yeah. It? yeah. So I haven't given that a go. So I'll, I'll give that a go for the for the autumn and see how that fares. Brilliant. Again, it might be that you know we in the autumn when we're doing our autumn winter plantings and planting up, it's a different. Ball game basically because the, you know, the, there isn't the pressure of, of extra moisture being required. There's probably going to be enough. Maybe it's what we do in the, the summer season is, is going to be the, the game. Be the crucial, the critical bit. Mm. But uh, yeah, w- work in progress, I think. So I found an interesting article about plastic grass the other day, Chris. Okay. Basically, a petition has been rebuffed by Parliament about the idea of banning plastic grass in domestic situations. Mm. Plastic grass is it's one of those products that I think in certain situations is really can look really mm. good. It can be a lot easier. I mean, for example, for disabled people mm-hmm. who want a nice clean product but like the look of grass, yep. it can replace their lawn and still gives them the aesthetics of it. Mm-hmm. But yeah. on the other side of that coin... Yeah, it's not recyclable, even right. though it's plastic, because the way that it's obviously laid on sand, mm-hmm. it wears out after right. a while, so okay. it creates paths. Right, it discolors and fades, and mm-hmm. it yeah. wears out. So yeah, I guess it, it's sort of a lot of it's ending up in landfill, isn't it? Yeah, which is not good news, is it really? And as the government is always trying to, you know, they're obviously they're very much behind, as you say, the pink campaign at the moment. You yeah, know, and the fact that we've got only a few years, the, the clock is ticking there. Then you've got this huge growth in the, uh, the the fake turf sort of brigade who are wanting it to to be out there. I suppose it's all been driven by by obviously sort of the football clubs, hasn't it? And yeah. and uh, Meanity arenas there. I think it's as you say, it's probably got its place. However. I think the, um, the 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 pros of it, or you know, the, the cons of it, should I say, are are quite a quite a lot in view of the fact that obviously it does heat up quite a bit as well. I mean, it generates heat. Yeah, because you were saying that the was it RSPCA were yeah. recommending if you've got plastic grass not to let your cats and the dogs. dogs on, yeah, because of the temperatures it can it can build up on. Because of, at the end of the day, it's synthetic, isn't it? It's not natural. Yeah. And it's if it's on a nice bed of sand, that's going to warm up even even more so. So that and the fact that you know you cre- you're putting a you know a lifeless material into you know maybe a quite a substantial area of your garden yep. can't be good for our you know our pollinators and the bees and all the things which we need to attract. Well, especially when you've got lawns like mine, which are full of clover and lovely. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Possibly not great for uh, having the uniform green colour that some people like, but um, if you don't mind the odd patch of white flowers... There's then... nothing wrong with a few buttercups and daisies, is there, in the, the scheme of things as well. Um, yeah, I think it's just getting that, that measured of it. But, uh, yeah, this article, Peter, I did notice that uh, the, the gentleman who we had as a guest early on on our podcast... Um, yeah, David so, Hedges-Gower. He, yeah, he, he, he comments. Comment. Yeah, so... And he, he, he was... Sort of suggesting that um, you know it is a serious environmental issue in view of what we've just discussed. Is there, and if obviously we could have got to a, a hundred thousand signatures on that petition, maybe something would have been done. Yeah. So maybe it needs to be brought out again and uh, reformulated, and maybe a stronger campaign. Maybe uh, you know when we you know we've got a, a new new prime minister, perhaps. 
Well, that's it, isn't it? And bring it back into the light, the light again, because yeah, it, it's a it's not a small amount of product that you put down, is it? No, it I mean, it, just thinking the furniture. A lot of the furniture that we now sell is the cushions are sort of weather resistant, and they're made in, made out of recycled plastic bottles. Yeah, I don't know if any of the artificial turfs are be being made out of yes. recycled plastic. Yes, and if mm. they are, well, at least that's one yeah. part of them but then equally it would be better to create it as something that as an end product can be recycled again yeah i think the product needs to be rethought through as as a recycled product doesn't it from from the beginning and then and then promoted in such a way then perhaps they probably wouldn't be getting the the stick that which obviously the the anti-lobby are, are <laughs> suggesting are, <laughs> yeah. yeah but at least the benefit of it is you don't have to cut it no, and you don't have to... Well, no mow may isn't a problem, is it? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, another bit of news, uh, Peter, which I thought was really interesting, in view of the fact that, I mean, I remember certainly the late 70s and 80s flower parades over in Spalding, hmm. Lincolnshire, um, at a time when, obviously, all the tulip growers at the time were obviously producing their wonderful bulbs, as yep. we know, and obviously using the flowers to decorate these wonderful displays, often sort of vehicles or inanimate objects which were then paraded down the, uh, the you know the, the town centre and they were huge attractions you know attracting you know up to a quarter of a million people at the wow. time and it looks like they're going to be coming back brilliant which okay. I think is fantastic isn't it yeah, yeah definitely because I certainly I've got vague memories of mm. seeing like floats and trailers being mm. Going through town parades and things like that, which were yeah. decorated with flowers, and certainly haven't seen anything like that. The Northampton parades are predominantly school children and doing dances, mm. and different religious groups putting on That's floats right. and you know, making lots of noise. And it's re- it's really good fun. But yeah, I haven't seen a flower display in there for a long while. No, and I suppose it's, it's, it's the byproduct of of obviously the the wonderful floral um, horticulture in that part of the world isn't it obviously well known for daffodils tulips and, and other bulbs and yep. uh, yeah so they, they create they, they basically do all the uh, preparation and they use they've already got I think 400 volunteers have already registered to to pick the flowers that's wow. going to be a big old job isn't it but you can imagine sort of local uh, associations probably wi groups and and similar really getting involved in this and making yeah. it quite a thing as well and it's had a a bit of money through a a uh, crowdfunding uh, site too so yeah i think it's really good to uh, to 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 celebrate and obviously we're lucky that we have one of our uh, main suppliers obviously tailors um just yep. literally down the road from there so i'm sure they probably are we, we probably need to beg the question at some point to find out if they're going to be involved at all yeah we should do and uh, yeah. i suppose it's in a way it's a bit like the well dressing up in um derbyshire mm. isn't it where they I mean, that's always beautiful to go and have a look at and see all the different villages yeah. decorating their wells with flowers. flowers that's yeah. always a lovely mm-hmm. yeah. spectacle. So, Yeah, something to look forward to next, uh, probably next April and May then. Yeah. And going back to Kew Gardens, I hear they've realised they made a mistake with naming their water lilies. Well, yeah, this is um, a new revelation. I'm sure many of our, our listeners will have seen the, the TV coverage because it got a lot of coverage a few weeks ago, but it's now sort of hitting all the, the gardening magazines. Um, so it was basically hide, hiding in plain sight yep. for 170 years. And uh, with a bit of DNA analysis, now they've found that it's it's related to the, 
the one which they thought they had, but they've obviously got two species there rather than one. That's it. Um, but the, I mean, the giant water lilies—they mm. are really iconic, aren't they? They're beautiful the, things. Yeah. I, 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 I always imagine, sort of as a, as a child, being able to run across them and yeah. just uh, yeah, they are so beautiful, mm. and the flowers that they have as well are pretty big aren't they, they from are, memory that's it um, yep and they i think that's right they uh the white on the first day then they go they turn pink on the second and they close by noon so yep. they open yeah so they i think they rely on on moths and more uh night pollinators as well so that makes them quite it's specific unique, unique it? as well uh, but yeah. unfortunately not frost hardy so don't no, grow very well in no, the ponds no, here. You, you need need lots of warmth um and obviously lots of uh some money to keep the, the plants going along. Um, I did see one. I went to Chatsworth uh, Gardens a few years ago, and, right. they, and they've got one of the original plants, I think, of the Amazonica type okay. there. And uh, it's interesting because they, they do produce quite sharp spines around the yeah. edges. And that's, again, a, like, like cacti, it's a deterrent for, for animals as well. So they look after themselves. You know, they, yeah, to produce that sort of size of leaf, you, you probably would want to look after yourself as a, as a plant. Definitely. Yeah, I've noticed, Peter, as well, that uh, in Amateur Gardening magazine, um, TV, yeah, TV's most popular gardening expert, Terry Walton, he's, obviously, he's a regular on Radio 2 as well, has called to look at how we are more careful with our chemicals. Um, he's basically they're setting up a Welsh uh, water pest, uh, yeah, pest smart project, which is really calling on gardeners to be careful where they get rid of their they're chemicals. Okay. And uh, it's all about obviously being more of a natural approach to the way we garden. But I think what Terry is saying is, you know, what we all try to do, you know, use chemicals wisely and certainly don't dispose of them where you've got a watercourse you know, near your, your property. Yeah. Uh, follow the recommendations there. Um, but I think, you know, it, it goes without saying that, you know, as, as, as gardeners, we need to be very responsible on how we not only use chemicals. In the right way at the right time of the day and, and such like but obviously how we dispose of them as well definitely and i think it's, it goes across the board doesn't mm. it with and you think that glyphosate has been pretty much stopped being used by the agribusinesses now mm-hmm. yeah i think at the end of the day if we can use organic and sort of safer mm. products, products that yeah. don't um, get into water courses that's obviously the best way forwards yeah and same with fertilizers though isn't it, it I is. mean, there's a lot of talk at the moment um and uh, chicken farmers of the Y Valley polluting the River Wye. Oh okay. Um down in that's in sort of Wales, Wales Monmouthshire yeah. I think yeah. from memory mm-hmm. where just by the sheer number of the chicken farms there are down there and the fact that obviously the chickens create muck and that mm. gets raked out into the outside which then gets rained on and then that Feeds into the lots, water courses. Lots the, of nitrogen then. The yeah. nitrogen mm-hmm. and the phosphates get into the water supply and yep. you get massive algal blooms and yep. that clogs up the rivers, which yep. kills all the fish. fish yeah. So, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I think it's all... Obviously, as humans, we're always growing in numbers, so the, our demand on our resources are always increasing, but it's trying to make sure that as we do that, we actually change our... Philosophies and just be a little bit more responsible, become yeah. more careful with yeah. what we're doing, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, so uh, yeah, there's more information we'll put it on the uh podcast show notes to find out more about the uh the Pet Smart uh website. Brilliant, okay. And I see Peter Seabrook's sweet peas 
Oh, in the news, he was a sh- <laughs> well, he he was a fantastic sweet pea lover, wasn't he? He, he was. loved them. Yes, and it's one of the. If you read anything about Peter Seabrook, um, you know, at, at the age of only um, six years old, he saw he used his pocket money to grow them, and he saw the commercial properties of growing sweet peas for obviously growing for cutting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he, he he did see that he recognised that. So, and he was obviously a, a great advocate of, of uh, promoting them in the gardening trade. And obviously, to have a, a variety named after you is obviously a, a beautiful tribute uh, to his. And this is going to be available. Um, the seeds are going to be available September, October, and a pound from every seed packet sold will be donated to the Flora Fantasia Garden at RHS. Hyde Hall, uh, which was, of course, uh, created and maintained by Peter. And, of course, we mentioned that earlier. There's a, a wonderful flower show there this month as well. So if you're going mm-hmm. over that way, you, you'll see some of uh, Peter's uh, work, which obviously has been continued and developed now through uh, through various charities. Mm. And you had a nice day out recently, didn't you? Or was it, well, it's just a morning, it really, because they're so f- local to us, we can get there and back very quickly. But where yeah. have you been, Chris? Yeah, so I went over to the, the, the Ball Colgrave Open uh, event, which is just for the trade, uh, and it was an opportunity to see what they are doing uh, for all as gardeners for, for next year. So you get a yeah, bit of a glimpse of what what's new plants are, are on the... Uh, on the trial grounds. Because Bullcold grows, grows masses of bedding. I mean, mm. I, I can remember when I first went there. I was just blown away by the, the tiny little plugs and mm. the, how automated the process is. But equally, when you see the plants grown through to what they grow into, and Indeed. I think you've only got to look round at what councils have now got on in public displays. Most definitely, yes. In their hanging baskets as you drive through villages and things like that. It's mm. an incredible achievement what they've done with, I'm just thinking, things like impassions, which mm. 20, 30 years ago would come and go and they needed quite specific growing conditions, whereas they've manipulated the species a little bit and yep. selected specific characters that are now better at lasting droughts and mm. flowering in slightly harder conditions, and, and and also, Peter, you know, they've actually developed them to overcome disease, and that was, yeah. of course, the big, big thing with the, the obviously the dreadful impatient mildew, which devastated, and actually for five, maybe seven years, we just didn't have busy lilies available yep. in the gardening trade. So it's it's good. Interestingly, they um, they did collect a, a big award for their their busy lizzie at the the recent right. HGA awards. That was the um, impatient glimmer. Apple Blossom, right? Um, and it was recognised as the best in show at the, the, the HGA um, Plant Awards. They, they thought it had a wonderful stunning colour, had large iridescent, these lovely rose-like flowers. This is a busy lizzie with a double flower, basically. Okay. So thinking quite out of the box, really. And it produces a nice rounded sort of... Um, and it obviously has a, a nice sort of uh, quality of strength and upright growth to it as well. Brilliant. So a lovely plant. They brought the 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 apple blossom got the, the top award. However, there's other colours in the range as well. Which, going round the uh, the open uh, day, I saw you know uh, the red ones and obviously the the burgundy ones, which were really nice too. Yeah. But what was interesting, Peter? Um, yes, all the usual suspects were there. You know your marigolds, your wonderful um, the cool wave petunias, but lots and lots of Perennials, okay. Perennials is seen to be the, the next big thing in, in in using them for which these are perennials which have long flowering seasons. So yeah, things like lobelia, coreopsis, echinaceas, and then using those within the municipal 
town displays to complement your bedding plants. Yeah. So you use it because the biggest problem, of course, with bedding plants is height. You never really get lots of heights with a bedding plant. Yeah. However, perennials we usually get to about two, three, maybe four foot tall quite quickly in a season, yeah, yeah. and that can be really good. And for us gardeners, this is great news. And the whole idea of mixing perennials and bedding plants in a pot. Yeah. really is uh, the way forward. And I think we're going to see an awful lot about that. Uh, certainly at the garden centre here, we've we've planted up a few experimental ones to see how our customers like the, the displays. Yeah. And so far, they've had a definite you know, tick of approval. Brilliant. So it's just getting our mind frames away from perhaps geraniums and futures. I mean, they've got a wonderful place in our gardens. However, you know... We know the, the cost of uh, living crisis now. We know that heating costs are going to have a big effect on bedding plant growers. Yeah. Perennials, of course, don't need that injection of heat at the beginning of the season. So yeah. mixing this, uh, mix and matching our bedding and perennials might be the way forward. And, and I think that's quite exciting. Mm, definitely. And our top five this month, um, we thought we'd do pest control and bug killers so mm, yes. chris how uh, how are the sales looking it's yeah it is the season isn't it so uh number five uh provanto ultimate fruit and veg killer yep which you can buy as a, a concentrate and as a ready to use which is which is good uh at number four top rose bug killer back on the roses again yep so it's those those uh, little Aphids causing lots of lots of problems. It's good to see a, a rose product in the in the top five. Uh, yeah. uh, number three, Bug Clear Ultra, Vine Weevil Control. Okay. So I mean, we've got a lot of our customers who have lots of containers. So obviously, Vine yeah. Weevil Control is is the way to go. And little adults will be around shortly, so they're the ones which need to be dealt with. At number two, we've got Provanto Ultimate Bug Killer. Okay. Obviously, been re re uh, formulated, so it's still a lot safer than it used to be for using in the garden, and of course, it's perfect for controlling most of your problematic uh, sap sucking pests. And at yes. number one, Bug Clear Ultra Gun, for, yeah. which is for the edibles uh, from Scotts. Which That's nice to see. So mm. people are obviously growing lots of fruit and vegetables at the moment. They are, and I think with the the Bug Clear Ultra Gun, people are using that on their edibles and a lot on their ornamentals as well. Because again, the way the the product is branded, it makes you encourages you to basically use it as a an all, an all round spray, which I think yep. is particularly useful. So uh, a good top five this month. Brilliant, thank you. And I know we've talked about it a bit before, but allotments, Chris. You found some figures this time on how much they cost to rent from private companies. Yes, yeah, this is a, this is actually a, a BBC News report which came out literally a couple of days ago, so I picked it up. Yeah, um, there's a, a company called Roots uh, and Ards. These are people who sort of manage um, allotment sites. Yeah, a, a starter patch, thirty six square meters. You're looking at two hundred and twenty pounds per year. Mm. Which is, by contrast, 63% of local authorities usually charge below £70 a year. So how does that tally with your own plot, Peter? Yeah, I mean, my allotment, I think, is about £40 a year. Mm -hmm. And it's, I'm going to say, very roughly 30 metres by 10 metres. Okay. So mm. an awful lot, lot cheaper than these yeah. private ones. Um, yeah. So I guess I'm very fortunate. I hadn't quite realised how fortunate I was yeah. to actually have a... Yeah. Local authority. Well, mine's a ours is a an allotment association, mm -hmm. so it's not owned. The land isn't owned by the council, 
but mm. it follows their, their, their rules. Indeed. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think at the end of the day, the other figures that came out, which I've, I found really interesting, is that there's only 330,000 allotment plots yeah. across the UK. Yeah. Now, if that, I, I, I wonder whether that's 330,000 individual plots or whether that's 330,000 individual plots <laughs> allotment areas yeah. which are then broken down into the individual plots because yes. yeah it is yeah i thought that's quite a small number mm, in view of the yes in view of the hundred thousand on the waiting list at the moment which again yeah. is another star reminder that uh, especially now we might be thinking more about growing our own food if we haven't got a garden to do it in um, yeah yeah that's it it's such fun as well isn't it, having an allotment it's a nice space to go and enjoy I think so yeah, yeah uh, I thoroughly recommend yeah, and it. Yeah I see a lot of people use it you know if they've got the permissions obviously to grow things like cut flowers as well I mean you can use them for yep. so many other things as well and maybe if you're allowed to, to grow soft fruits or maybe some orchard fruits too. So. Yeah yeah because well yeah. on my allotment there's one gentleman who's got three plots and he grows vines mm. so he's obviously growing wine right. um, quite a few allotments have quite mature apple trees mm-hmm. and pear trees and fruit trees which take up a lot of space so yes. you do look at those ones and you think mm, that's possibly not yielding quite as much as other ones which yeah. are so intensively yeah. used and the amount of produce you can grow i mean my neighbor she comes from kenya and she loves growing maize mm. and every okay. year at least one of her allotments is just covered in maize and right. does really well with it mm-hmm. and obviously it's a product that she can't easily buy over in this country so she makes her special porridge from this maize and she loves it and she's really pleased to have the space so yeah i I think it is a great resource Mm, it is yeah yeah and and obviously those waiting lists sort of suggest that you know those waiting lists are probably going to grow even more so if you are Mm. in the market for an allotment this this coming year you know don't don't waste your time get get yourself booked down and signed up Definitely. And obviously thinking about the allotment, it reminds me that I need to carry on watering mine and carry on weeding it. But what what jobs have we got to be getting on with this month, Chris? Yeah, so for, for those people who haven't necessarily got an allotment but they want to grow some potatoes, yep. we're in the month of, of August, so that's the, the time to grab your, your summer planting potatoes so the christmas potatoes yeah, need planting now they don't do they? so f- five good varieties out there um from from taylor's bulbs um I think 10 tubers could cost you sort of 3.99 so good value for money yep don't need to really do any chitting just get yourself some a decent sized pot something probably your sort of 30 40 centimeters in diameter bit of compost a bit of peat free compost or a bit of recycled compost from your your compost heap Yep. Put a small amount in the bottom, pop your tuber in, lightly cover it, and then, of course, earth up within the pot as, the as they grow, grow up. Yeah. yeah, And hopefully by uh, the end of September, October, you'll have a lot of foliage, and, of course, those foliage, those stems will they be, because they're stem tubers, will be producing those wonderful tubers for November lifting onwards, and hopefully you'll yep. have some for, for Christmas. So, yeah, give them a go. They're well worth the... And especially last year, we had such a mild winter. You know, a lot of people had good success because the plants continued to grow well into the into the late autumn. Okay. Yep. So uh, that's potatoes. So and then obviously, you know, if you if you've got your allotments plot and you've got plenty of space, then maybe get some Japanese onion sown. 
Okay. Um, so that's the sensory sort of semi-globe yellow, which is the one we, you know you tend to 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 sow any time from now right through to the, the the late August, and they're going to give you a crop next July. So you are really thinking twelve months ahead as well. If you do more seed sowing, some spring cabbage can go in now. Some Chinese cabbage, uh, corn salad, uh, some winter lettuce, um, and of course, fast-growing crops like uh, obviously uh, spring onions and radish will give you a crop by mid to the end of September. So you can get those in. Too. Still time to grow things for this year, then. Yes, indeed, and I even you know some of the the round carrots. That's what I've been, I'm going to be sowing over the next week or two, just because I've got some space now in my my raised carrot bed. I'm going to get some more of those in because they've been so okay. uh, so productive and too. How do the round ones do? Are they so sort of soil specific, in the sense of you know, from my understanding with carrots. If you grow them in rocky mm. or stony or ground, they, they they tend to create funny shapes. Yes. Um, are, are the little round ones the same, or are they? Yeah, they're, they're, the, the thing is, that piece exactly. If, you, if you've got if you're cultivated, say, sort of fifteen centimeters, six inches of your soil, the round carrots are definitely the ones to go for because you'll get some nice, good rounded uh, pr- product from that. Whereas yep. the longer ones uh, can be a bit more fate. I grew the um, I grew the Amsterdam forcing this year in my raised beds because right. I've got the depth, and they've been actually very good. It's the first time I've actually grown decent sized carrots ever in in my garden because I I was a little bit careful with me, me seed sowing. I sowed them very very thinly, obviously trying to avoid the the carrot fly, yeah. and uh, yeah, I did do a little bit of thinning out. I had to because I was a bit, a bit overzealous with me me seed sowing, but they've been really good. So this year I've actually grown both the round and the the, the, the traditional mm. in a raised bed and they've been fine uh, just take lots of water though that's been the issue as yep. well so raised beds definitely make make sure your own produced compost is going there rather than just keeping them you know solely peat free okay well maybe give that a go then Thanks. Mm. and just thinking about my hanging baskets this year chris mm. should i be deadheading them in the main, yes, because there's going to be a few things there. If you don't, the plants might come to a bit of a sudden stop. Um, okay, yeah, so, so in patterns, do I need to... Be... Patterns, yeah. I mean, they usually, if you don't deadhead them, they will produce quite a noticeable seed pod, which will obviously expand. They, they do make quite explosive pods to, to in patterns. Right. Um, so they'll put, yeah, I mean, if you can go along and, and obviously take any of these sure. spend flowers off, but certainly things like marigolds, obviously geraniums, pelagoniums, right. get yeah, the right. Um, fuchsias, if you don't take the seeds off them, they become bright purple in colour and you can use them for wine making. Right, you you okay. need quite a lot of them, yeah, yeah. apparently. Um, the wine does taste quite good. I sampled it many years ago, but you need obviously a lot of those. So, yeah, d- so basically the rule is yes, more deadheading you can do. I mean, for normally, beaners, presumably, for as verbena, well, yeah, a bit of a tidy up on verbenas, yeah, because the flowering spike, and then you nip back. And usually, as you follow back, you'll see where the new flowers are, are forming. Yep. And if you're unsure, then yeah, get a pair of snippers or, or very sharp secateurs and just take the plants down off the basket, you know, and give them a really good trim up. And then at that point, give them a really good feed. Yep. And remember, if your hanging basket is in that sort of state where it's produced lots of flower and it's not producing lots of leaf, maybe change the feed over to something like miracle Grow, which is higher in nitrogen. Yeah, yeah, so that'll um, help the leaves yeah, grow. Yeah, yeah, and if it's the opposite way, you've got lots of flower, um, or, or you've not got enough flower, you've, 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 got, you've gone through that process, then a bit of high potassium, so a bit of phosphogen or a bit of tomato food. Um, nice. What I'm trying to do in mine is alternate the two. 
Yeah. Um, if you can, I mean, it's, it's no, you know, you, you buy a pack of each and you you go through the season and run out of both at the same time, probably. Um, that, that's good. But yeah, and remember with, with hanging baskets, try and give them a good water before you feed. Yes. Because the feed's taken up a lot better then. And it stops the roots burning, which is does, the other point, tip that you gave us. That's it, yeah, scorching month. is going to be a problem, especially in view of the temperatures we've just experienced last month. Brilliant, thanks Chris. And we're doing really well with raspberries this year, aren't we Chris? I think the weather must be perfect for them. I think them. it is, yeah, it's going to be a good good year. I think yeah, raspberries and strawberries have done well, haven't they? They've enjoyed this sunshine. So if you've got some summer cropping varieties, so those are the varieties which you produced, obviously you, you, your wonderful bountiful crops now, those are the canes you'll need to cut right back to encourage, and you'll notice at the base, you're having lots of new shoots are starting to form. Yep. They'll carry your fruit next year. So it's important that you cut out the fruiting canes from this year right, right. down to soil level and you tie in all those new shoots, which will give you a crop for, for next year. That's summer cropping varieties. If you've got autumn cropping varieties like Autumn Bliss, yep. then of course you basically let all the, the, the canes grow and fruit right through the course of the year and then of course you cut the whole lot back in February, early March. Yeah. But make sure Peter, you get the right variety because there's nothing worse than cutting the wrong time. And then yeah. you have to wait a year for a crop. That's <laughs> it, yeah. So uh, but it's good. And of course again if you if you you're into your, your autumn bliss which are starting to do their thing now, yeah, yep. give them a bit of an extra feed, a bit of extra water obviously. And if you've planted your your canes back in, in during the, the bare root season a lot of people you know still might be thinking are they going to grow this is the month if they're going to do anything they will put that put that burst of growth on so okay. yeah be be patient but yep. uh, if they've had plenty of water over the last few few weeks then they should be showing some decent signs of growth brilliant and what should we be doing with our lawn at the moment chris i mean mine's looking pretty patchy shall yeah, we say it's looking probably a little bit dry a little bit yeah. straw like yeah I, mean, I haven't uh, cut it for about a month now no. just because i thought well no exactly you're doing the it'll right give thing. it yeah a little bit more chance yeah have you got any any is there any weeds still other than the clover that well. is now finishing sort of flowering um mm. so the bees are not quite so interested in it anymore right. it's not too bad yeah. but yeah there's certainly the odd bit of plantain in there and yeah because now plants are flowering they're at the most vulnerable for good control using a selective law weed killer okay. so if you've got a problem with things like plantain and maybe dandelion maybe buttercups buttercups yep. can be quite then now would be a good time to to get a lawn weed killer on so um, what are you thinking uh, evergreen i probably wouldn't go for a weed and feed i would probably go for a liquid uh one off the okay. shelf and mix it up in a get yourself a dedicated Preferably a red watering can, red yep. for danger. With mine, I did a little bit of me permanent marker pen and put a skull and crossbones on it, so yep. I remind myself not to use it. And with a nice fine rose, mix some of the, the products up, and then obviously in the late afternoon, early evening when it's cooled down a bit, go along and spot treat those those uh, okay. broadleaf weeds. Remember, law weed killers work. They don't affect the lawn, the, the, the monocots. They only affect anything with very broad leaves. So oh. they're very selective in what they kill. But now would be a really good time to do that. And I think this year, because it's been so dry, because our lawns have taken such a battering, it's probably a good year to be able to control those uh, those problem weeds. And about a month ago, I put some seed down on a couple of bits where I had slabs previously. Mm. And I don't know whether the, the seed was 
I'm going to say a year and a half old. Is as all my other bits lived in the shed that gets cooked, and even though I was watering it every day, yeah. not a single seed has germinated. Really, well, that's unusual for lawn seed. I, I'm I'm really surprised about, but I'm going to have to do it again. Mm-hmm. Should I wait for this really hot, dry weather to mm. pass and then? Yeah, I think we're going to have to do a lot of weather watching. Really, I, I wouldn't really do any any overseeding or reseeding until well into August, maybe into into early September. You know, if okay. there's if there's some forecasting, some showery rain, and our lawns start to pick up again, then work with the weather. But like anything, isn't it? We, we've just got to make that decision. And lawn seed's not expensive, so if you mm. can get some in. And it gives it a bit of a chance, or you get a reasonable amount of germination. At least you've got the starting. Then you can over then overseed where you've seeded. That's not yeah, a problem. That won't be but, a problem. But uh, okay. yeah, but September. I mean, September is usually a good month. And remember, you know, weather pattern wise, we'll be we'll be getting heavier dew falls really in the next yeah. month or so, which again will add a little bit of moisture to our our lawns in the in the evening, and that just might help the. The germination. The germination, yeah. Okay. But, well, maybe yeah. I'll give it a leave it till after I've had my summer holiday and Indeed. put some fresh seed down Indeed. there. And maybe also, Peter, as well as just using lawn seed, obviously you can buy lawn patch kits at the yep. garden centre. And sometimes adding those products to your lawn might be in a different way. So if you've had, you know, not good success with just pure lawn seed, then maybe have a look at the other other products on the market and have a, a play with those. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Peter. Today's show was brought to you by Buckingham Garden Centre and Nurseries. The show was hosted by Chris Day and Peter Brown. The show was produced by Peter Brown. And our thanks to Chilton Music Therapy for providing the music. Thanks for listening. At Chilton Music Therapy, we want everyone to know the difference that music can make in their lives. From parents and their premature babies in hospital to grandparents with dementia. We provide music therapy and community music services to people of all ages and needs across England. We work both digitally and in person in people's homes, care homes, schools, hospitals and hospices. Find out more at chilternmusictherapy.co.uk.